Our first scripture reading this morning comes to us from the book of Hebrews, the 10th chapter, verses 19 to 25. Let's listen together for a word from God. Therefore, my siblings, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with, full, with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we might spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. The word of the Lord. Our second scripture reading is one that I think may be familiar to many of us, and it is the 23rd Psalm, and in a departure from the tradition of this church, although I think probably not a departure from the way most of us memorized this psalm, we are today hearing the King James Version. So let's listen together again for a word from God. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still water. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table for me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The word of the Lord. So this psalm is kind of one of those texts that everyone knows. You have likely seen it on a pillow somewhere, or framed in someone's kitchen, or painted in beautiful calligraphy on a piece of reclaimed wood, or on someone's bumper sticker. Uh, and in particular, if you grew up um, in the Catholic tradition, you may have a number of small laminated cards from folks' funerals that have something about them on the front and perhaps this psalm on the back. It's kind of a, like, funeral's greatest hits psalm. Um, and I, I think that it's really easy to associate this hymn with funerals, for this psalm 
the funerals for that reason. Um, but I, I kind of think that the ubiquity of the psalm does it a disservice. I think it's easy for it to become rote. It's kind of there, it runs in the background, and so we don't think too much about it anymore. And particularly if what we're doing is sort of ascribing it to funerals as the funeral psalm, I think we're missing something really important about the psalm that's so associated with death, which is that this is a psalm about life. It's about life in the hard places, life in the dark places, life in the fearful places, life when all the signs point to slamming the big red panic button. That is exactly when we need a psalm like this the most. I admit that in uh, prepping this week, I was probably overly focused on the hard stuff in this psalm. The world is kind of overwhelming. I don't know if you all are having that experience as well, but it feels like a lot right now. There's war, there's economic instability, we've got ecological disasters, people's futures and humanities are literally being legislated out of existence with calls for the eradication of entire groups of people coming from major political gatherings. It's not great out there. And as I was thinking about this hymn, lying in bed, all I could hear was the valley of the shadow of death. I feel like I'm in the valley of the shadow of death. I don't know if you feel that way in some place in your life as well. And as I lay there thinking about it, I realized how holy the valley of the shadow of death had begun to feel like the entirety of the thing. That the valley of the shadow of death was neither a valley nor a shadow, but in fact just death. And my very next thought was, for thou art with me. The valley of the shadow of death, if you look at this, and you're welcome to actually look at the text if you want, is sort of in the very middle of the psalm. But it's not by itself. Thou art with me. You are with me. Which felt like a little pinprick of hope in the middle of a very overwhelming thing. So my two thoughts about that as it relates to this were, one, that we're not alone, and two, that the shadow is not death, even if it feels that way. The psalm at its very center reminds us that God is with us at the center of all the overwhelmed places. God is next to the evil. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. There's shadow, there's evil, there's God. I am surrounded in the presence of mine enemy. 
and there is God preparing a table. We are not alone. But not only because God is with us in those moments, but because the Lord is our shepherd, and it occurred to me that a sheep does not a shepherd make. Shepherd implies that there are, in fact, lots of sheep, probably all going through a kind of similar valley in this particular psalm. My neighbor growing up in 4-H raised sheep, so there were two lambs who lived up the hill from us. Uh, and they were very good at what they did, but I don't think they were, they would have considered themselves a shepherd. I think that was for much larger flocks. So having a shepherd in the valley of the shadow of death is not only about having someone who's walking alongside us, something God walking alongside us, but it means that we're not alone because other people are experiencing the thing that we are experiencing which is important because one of the best tricks for taking away someone's hope, for stealing someone's joy, is to make them feel alone, period. To make them feel that they are the only person who has ever experienced this, that their suffering is so deeply their own that no one could understand, that no one could find them, and you can kind of feel the high walls of the valley towering and the thing closing in when it feels like we are all alone. And it's into those moments that this psalm speaks because it is firstly that we are not alone, that there are other people who have experienced, who will experience the thing you are experiencing. But it is also that the shadow of death is not death itself, which means that the psalm, with its moments of darkness that acknowledge the reality of the world we live in, is also about a reframe. There are ways in which this is kind of like a 300,000-foot view. In a very English major nerdy way, if you look at the way that this psalm is constructed, you have the valley of the shadow of death at the center. But it is wrapped in layers of God, in layers of hope, in layers of care. We start with God as a shepherd who will not, want, will not let us want. We end with this affirmation that surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. We have this God who makes us lie down in green pastures and leads us behind still waters and anoints our head with oil and our cup runneth over, and even in the midst of that, there is this moment of hope. There's still the presence of the enemies, but that presence of enemies is surrounded by a God who is setting a table for us, who is leading us to places of abundance. That's a little abstract. So I'm going to ask you to do me a favor and close your eyes. I understand that that's risky in a sermon. I want you to think about your favorite meal growing up. I want you to sit at a table that is just your favorite table 
in the whole world. Maybe it's someone's dining room table, maybe it's a diner, maybe it's a picnic blanket under a tree somewhere. And I want you to look at the table in front of you. What is on it? What does it look like? What does it smell like? When you think about eating it, how does it feel? Not only in your mouth, but how does your heart feel? Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You can open your eyes or leave them closed if you'd like. There's that comfort, there's that moment. For me, when I'm having a really rough day, one of the things that my family does is there's a cup of tea. If I don't know what else to make my wife, I'll be like, do do you want a cup of tea? That tea I don't understand. She'll be like, yeah. And it's kind of just a small moment, uh, an outcropping of hope in the moments that feel really hard sometimes. And why that's important is because while things like the green pastures and the still waters and the goodness and mercy and the dwelling in the house of the Lord forever can feel very future-oriented. The meal is happening now. It's happening in the midst of the things. It's speaking not only to how God lays out a future hope for us, pulls us up out of the valley to show us the topographical map, but also promises us that in those hard moments, there are also pockets of calm. It's not about avoiding the valleys where our enemies can seem loud and raucous and like they're winning. It's that that's not the whole picture. And this psalm, I, what I love about it is that it names those things and then it pulls us up out of it to say both can be true. The psalmist at no point says, this isn't happening to you. It's absolutely happening to you. And it's not the only thing around us. That feels like a particularly prescient word in the fourth Sunday of Lent. We are in a season of wilderness. Uh, And I I mentioned that today is Latare Sunday. Um what that means is that historically in the Catholic Church we couldn't get married during Lent. Had to wait. There's one Sunday, Latare Sunday, in the middle of Lent where people could get married and so it was one day of rejoicing, of joy, of pink, pink and joy and rejoicing in the middle of Lent, in the middle of the wilderness, a small oasis kind of reminding us that Easter will come, that the wilderness doesn't last forever. And so my hope for us this week and in the moments where we have those hard times, if you are a person who right now is in the valley, I want you to know that you're not 
alone, even if it really feels like you are, that in the midst of the hard thing, there is a God who loves you, there are people around you, and there are moments of hope from a God who is constantly making the narrow place wide. And if that doesn't feel true right now, and it's okay if it doesn't feel true right now, I would invite you to spend some time sitting with this psalm. Maybe take a week and every morning when you get up while you're drinking your coffee or your tea or on your walk, say this a couple times. Because sometimes it's not that we pray the prayer because we know it's already true. We pray the prayer because we hope that it's going to be true. And there is something about walking with the promise and continuing to say it that begins to shape and change our vision, even in the smallest ways. And if you're a person who's not currently having a real big valley, if your valley walls feel lower and you're in the green space, do me a favor and call somebody. Call somebody you care about who you haven't talked to in a while. Call that friend who's kind of bumping down your list, your to-do list. Take five minutes and text them. Tell them you love them. Because you are also part of the church. You are part of the group. And we don't know who's going to need to be reached out to. And as the hands and feet of the shepherd, we are called to also reach for one another until we come out of the narrow place together in trust and in hope that God will continue to walk with us. May it be so. Amen.